Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Devika Girish. And I'm Clinton Crute. We're the editors of Film Comment. This week, we cover everything you've ever wanted to know about Hong Sang-soo, but we're afraid to ask. To celebrate Film at Lincoln Center's two-part retrospective of the films of Hong Sang-soo, we hosted a special live conversation with New York Film Festival artistic director Dennis Lim about the playful, profound, and soju-soaked filmography of one of world cinema's most influential and ingenious artists. Dennis, the author of a forthcoming monograph on Hong's tale of cinema from Fireflies Press, had his expertise put to the test with a series of pre-selected questions from film comment contributors about the South Korean auteur's elliptical, endlessly generative body of work. Of course, in keeping with the spirit of the films, drinks were served before and during the conversation. And, in case you missed it, read an exclusive excerpt from Dennis's book on filmcomment.com. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Thank you, Clint and Devika, and for this idea of turning a book launch into an interrogation. That's uh, very interesting. The idea was to flatter you into torture. (laughs) Okay, the Um, first question is, how many cats appear? I said no no trivia. (laughs) You just get up and walk out. Um, Okay, well, we did actually want to start off with a couple questions about the book and the retrospective, but specifically about the book, uh, the most obvious question is, why Tale of Cinema? Why this film? It's a big question, but, um, you know, there's a lot of movies, I feel like, that you could identify as inflection points in Hong's filmography. What about this film made it so compelling to you? The thing about Hong's work is it could literally be any film. I think I could have written... I mean, given how I wanted to approach it, which is to use one film as an entry point to the work, I think any film would have worked, but some films work better than others. Uh, and I have to um, acknowledge and shout out Fireflies Press. Annabelle is here uh, in the front row. This, I should say, is part of a series of books that Fireflies has been putting out over the last uh, year plus. Uh, called the Decadent Editions, where they invited a writer to tackle a film, one film per year from the first decade of the 21st century. And it was their idea. They approached me. What piqued my interest immediately was writing about Hong, uh, which, for you know, when D- what David said in the intro, Hong has always been, I think, a, a really hugely important figure for me, but also a, a really challenging one. Uh, and, and I really, that was exciting. And they told me that this year was available and this film was available. I I actually leapt at the opportunity because this was the film. I don't know. There are several reasons. Um, it's top five Hong for me, I guess, if we're if we're ranking. Preview for a, for a later question. Okay. Sure. <laughs> um, but also, I think it's uh, it's a self reflexive film. Uh, it's a film. I don't know if everybody here knows it. I don't think I'm really going to ruin it. It's 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 an old film. I mean, it's the film is about reading cinema. It's about interpreting cinema. The, the entire film unfolds based on... The first part of the film is a film within a film, and then the second part of the film unfolds because one of the characters has seen this film and has a very particular reading on it. So this, for me, provided a, an interesting, reflexive frame for some of the questions that I wanted to tackle in the book and in thinking about Hong. So Clint and I were talking about our respective like first encounters with Hong and how that has shaped how we think of his filmography. So I think Clint, for you, it was Oki's movie. Yeah, I saw it and it really, uh, I was telling Devika that I became like obsessed with him when I started dressing like Hong for a time. Which was, uh, Wait, what would that be like? Just like puffy jackets and backpacks over the puffy jacket. <laughs> And like slacks. Like Hong? Or it was like extremely Hong char- boring like Hong characters looking. Or like- uh, Hong characters, but I saw Hong at the retro. I saw the film at a retrospective and he was out, out front smoking after every movie. And I saw his, you know, what he was wearing, his fits. And uh, was like, that's, this guy's movies are so good, I have to dress like him. Yeah. But yeah. And for me, it was right now, wrong then, because I, I came to it quite late. And, you know, Clint and I had these very different 
first encounters with Hong that shaped how we think about his filmography. We were curious, what was your first encounter and how did that shape your later encounters? It's a little blurry, um, but I'm quite sure that the first Hong I saw was Turning Gate at a press screening of the New York Film Festival. And I then caught up with everything before that. Um, Florence Almozzini, my colleague now, used to work at BAM, and she organized uh, a mini-retro of all of Hong's films not long after that, I think. Uh, Turning Gate was the first film that was in the New York Film Festival, and I think I caught everything at the mini-retro at BAM. Uh, and then from that point on, I've seen every film pretty much as it's premiered. In terms of how it... I don't know. I mean, Turning Gate is also a two-part film. It's also one of my favorites. It also stars this actor, Kim Sang-kyung, who is the lead of Tale of Cinema, who I really love. And I, I paired them. They're actually showing as a double bill tomorrow because I think they're both films about just the anxiety of influence or being impressionable or like in, in Turning Gate, the character hears this legend and then unconsciously enacts it. And then in Tale of Cinema, he's coming out of a cinema of, of a movie and then the rest of the film, everything he does is colored by his, his reading of the film, uh, which he thinks is based on his life. So, you know, the, you, you talked about this bifurcation as being a, a Hong device, um, but it's, you know, there are many ways to bisect a film, you know, and I think this, these two films, uh, I think even very early on in, in Hong's career, he, he, sh he used a two-part structure much more, I think, in the first half of his career. Um, and it was very clear how you could work with that, a film within a film, or a film that's told twice, or a film that shifts perspectives, or a film that shifts, you know, that makes a shift in time or in space. So for me, yeah, Turning Gate, and, and it remains one of my favorites. Okay, the next question was actually Devika's, but... Um... Yeah, it... But I'll um, ask it. Yeah, you ask it. Go ahead. <laughs> have, I'm delegating you. Okay. Have you ever cried while watching a Hong movie? This is the, now. Now we get into the real, like, yeah. intense grilling. Uh, not a big movie crier. <laughs> I didn't. This wasn't my question, so you could. <laughs> but you asked it. So. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. I will say that the closest I came is in his most recent film, the novelist's film, mm. which is. Intensely moving. I, I think I also cried during the novel's film. So yeah, I, I, I think I might have. And I'm a crier. Like, I okay. cry hard. Well, that one would do it. So. Yeah, I mean, that question, the reason I wanted to ask that was there is this, even though there are these earlier darker films, there is all this air of like pleasantness and this combination of despair and kind of lightness and so, yeah, I was just curious if there was a film that just cracked through straight to, you know, something more painful or sublime. I think the the, the Kim Min-hee films do that. I think they're very raw, you know, and I think how Hong works with disclosure and with autobiographical material is, is really interesting. And I think those films are especially moving. But, you know, I think I've, I find, I, I don't know about being moved to the point of, of tears necessarily, but I, I mean, A Tale of Cinema, I find quite, quite moving. It's quite, a, you know, and the early films are, as you said, darker. But yeah, I think maybe the, the, the first few films and the, and the later films might be the ones that are likelier to induce tears. Okay, now we're going to move into the, uh, I don't know, contributor question section. Do I get to know who asked the question? Yeah, we'll, okay. we'll uh, actually, we're going to ask you to guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think we'll let you know after the question, though. Yeah. All right, so the first question is, after programming all the Hong San Su double features for the retrospective, if you could include one Hong movie on a double bill with a film from any other director, oh, which God. films would you pair? This is like asking you to reveal your hand as a programmer, maybe a little too. <laughs> wait, like... wait, this is so complicated. What, any Hong film with any other non- Yeah, just, just <clears throat> what would be your like ideal Hong plus blank double bill? Oh. A filmmaker I, I mention a lot in the book is Bresson. Mm -hmm. And 
I think it's like a very unexpected association. But I do know for a fact, because Hong has talked about it, about how extremely important Bresson was for him. Bresson was the filmmaker who made him decide on a certain kind of cinema. And he's really, you know, he talks, he has this anecdote. He says he carried around uh, notes on the uh, cinematographer cinematographer, uh, for years as a young man. And um, because they're both films about suicide, maybe Tale of Cinema and the Devil probably... As a, a pretty heavy double bill, <laughs> but a good. But depends on the order in which you see the films. What would you put first? The devil, probably. probably. <laughs> or you could cut Tale of Cinema in half, devil probably in the middle, second half. That question was from our FLC colleague Jordan Rep. It's a good question. It's just you know difficult. Yeah, that's the point. <laughs> Okay, the next question is, Hong's films are obviously known for their loquaciousness. Which film has the least amount of dialogue, and does it rate? Um, and how does it rate amongst his, uh, his oeuvre? Is this trivia-esque? This is trivia-esque. I may have spoken too we soon. We won't fact-check your answer. Just... I have no okay, idea. Okay, which, which films, let's, then let's simplify it to, like, which films are the least loquacious? I guess just the ones with the fewest characters, maybe. I don't know. Hotel by the River? Yeah, that was, yeah. That was like the first thing that occurred to me. And wait, what was the second part of the question? How does it rate in his body of work? But also, like, maybe you could talk a little about how loquaciousness functions. Or di- in, yeah, his use of dialogue is... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think dialogue is, is hugely important. And I, I think how he writes dialogue and, and how the actors are, are given it and expected to deliver it is also very important because he, as I'm sure many people know, um, you know, this is sort of like part of the myth of Hong is that he, it was like a gradual process, but as for most of his career now, he has not written scripts ahead of time. He writes scenes, but he writes scenes every day, every morning, just before he's about to shoot. And, then he gives those these pages to the actors who are expected to memorize it. They are not encouraged or expected to deviate from it. So he's actually quite precise, which you would not necessarily think if you watch the films because there's a very um, kind of loose and like baggy quality to a lot of the of the of the films because they are meandering. Uh, the dialogue scenes are long, extended. They're often like single takes, and they meander, and they're often drinking. And it goes all over the place, but you know they're precisely written. He does not encourage them to 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 depart from the script. Yeah, I think dialogue is 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 interesting in Hong because it's often extremely mundane. They're talking about like just the most trivial things you could imagine, and then suddenly something absolutely momentous and significant just emerges from in the course of the conversation. And how does Hotel by the River rate? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I don't know about rating. I will say that in the course of writing this book, because I wanted to touch on all 27 films, I rewatched everything. And I will say that everything improved, which does not always happen. So I don't know if that was just the mindset I was in. But I can imagine that not happening with a lot of filmmakers. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a function of this, uh, you know, the multiple perspectives, the different retellings. You always discover something new, I feel like, whenever I rewatch one of his films. Okay, so the next question is from someone who teaches about cinema. And and that was a question from Andrea Picard. Oh, yeah. Who's here, I believe. Yes? No, she's not. I'll text her after. (laughs) She said she was coming, so she's in trouble. Yeah, so that was Andrea. And now, the, yeah, next question is from someone who teaches film. And they said, recently I asked a group of students to write a review of Hong's The Woman Who Ran. Most of them had never seen a Hong film before. I was expecting sharp comments or questions about the use of zooms, repetitions, long shots. But their brilliant in their brilliant pieces, they showed much more interest in Hong's portrait of female anxiety, sorority, and the search for freedom. So the question... May a too formalist take on Hong's films obscure his deep understanding of the human experience? I don't think it's one or the other, and I, I don't think it's productive to separate them. I would also say that that's like if you're watching one Hong film, 
I think one Hong film, one Hong film in isolation, almost makes no sense. I mean, you cannot really discern the project from one film. You you say it in the book like like pulling a brick out yeah. of a house. So I think if that's your first Hong film, it's called The Woman Who Ran, and you know it is, <laughs> and it, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But kind of, I guess more broadly, do you think that the two work in parallel? That, you know, is he more, do you feel that he's more of a foremost or is mm. form like a vessel for something else? I think I try to get into this in the book, which is like, it's very hard to write about Hong because you tend to look at one thing over the other. And I think to get a handle on him, you have to think about him as a formalist. And you also have to think about him as interested in human relations. And I think they go together. I think the form emerges from his interest in how humans interact. And, you know, I, I think they're they're very related. So, yeah, I do think, you know, it's interesting to read, like, takes on The Woman Who Ran, which has been read as a feminist film and, and you know, because men don't appear in it. And then, like, when the men appear, like, they're all, their backs are to the camera. And... You know, there are some cats in that one, too, right? Do they, do the they best, appear on camera? The best Hong cat of all is in the <laughs> woman And maybe woman the best zoom yeah. <laughs> same, same shot. <laughs> I think that might be a function of people just having seen one Hong film. And also also of that film not being the most pronounced in its formal like, effects. It's just, you know, three stories that, are that, that, that follow one another. Um, but... If you watch, I will say that if you come to that, having watched other Hong films, you're much more attuned to like how how these three segments interrelate um, and how they echo one another. But I do, I, I'm not saying that that's not a valid take, but I'm saying that, you know, I'm saying the danger in Hong is to, to, to just look at one thing over the other. And it's hard. It's hard to, to, to keep, you know, these, these, these things, you know, in balance as you evaluate the work. I think there are some people who are probably more interested in in looking at him as a behaviorist or like this sort of somebody who is has something to say about how how men are shitty, <laughs> like how toxic men, and you know, yeah. or uh, and or and then there's some who are interested in like what formal device is he using in this film. But I think they're very related. So that question was uh, from Manu Yanez Murillo, um, all the way from Spain. Well, I just I was talking to Devika about this earlier, and I think that um, I was thinking of Hong cinema as like a as a form of thought, really, in in the same way that I think of like John Ashbery's poetry as as formally, you know, whatever he's saying about the world is inseparable from the form in which he's in which he's presenting it, and so it's very difficult to. Uh, you can't they, these things are inseparable this is how he thinks about the world hung through these forms they just don't happen to be linear well i guess my counterpoint is like that people often write about hong's films as like humanist you know and in this kind of way that seems like stripped of cultural specificity or political specificity and does that come from an overemphasis on the on the self-reflexive formal dynamics I mean, I think he presents a lot of difficulties to writers, as we've talked about. Right. It's just easy to latch on to that element, maybe. Should we move on to the next question? Have we exhausted this one yet? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you both. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dennis's answer is both and. <laughs> all right. Yeah, you, you, we also want you to pass judgment on which one of us is right whenever yeah, we have a disagreement. Pick a winner. <laughs> yeah. The English language titles of Hong's films are consistently among the best in cinema poetic and evocative with a suggestive and but mysterious relation to the story tale of cinema woman is the future of man like you know it all grass the woman who ran what is your favorite of hong's titles and why oh come on tale of cinema (laughs) (laughs) all right what's your second favorite of hong's titles (laughs) and why it's like just it's a perfect title it's all-encompassing it's uh Second favorite, Grass. <laughs> grass is a very good title, yes. I always was, I was always partial to Woman as the Future of Man as just a, you know, Zen cone, mm-hmm. strange 
phrase that does not appear in the movie, but allows you to kind of think of because the women the are the past of the men in the movie, actually. Yeah. So it's actually the opposite. So yeah, it's just always been a phrase that has run through my head. Dennis, you do talk about titles in the book a little bit, how they often reference European films or you know other other artworks. Maybe you could talk a little more about that. Like, what what do you discern in you know Hong's like titling practice? I think they're referential. I mean, this you know this the Duchamp reference and um, this Cheever and this other and Whitman and but I think they're just they're just tonal. They're just for this you know just they're just like a, a nice poetic reference. I don't and they're also factor into. I think what's interesting is is also how the titles. Uh, mislead you or confuse you because like like what is the day after like after what which day and like the day the day he arrives the day he arrives like he keeps arriving like which day is that (laughs) and then like who's the and who's the woman who's the woman on the beach there are like several women there are many women on the beach so I I kind of really I think that's actually another another place where he works in humor Mm -hmm. and and misdirection. It's like it's it's he's having fun with it. Yeah. Uh, this also reminds me of a uh, Ashbury. Not to bring it up again, but uh, you know who said that a uh, title is not a can opener. I think. Mm. But uh, I guess I have a question. Does these are translations from Korean, and does he? I don't think the they're English? the same. I think he comes up with English titles, if I'm not mistaken. But other people can correct me if I'm wrong. But. Yeah. But he does choose the English titles. They're not just pretty sure. Yes. If I anybody corrects a, us, I what, see. What a, wrong. I see. Well, I see a distributor nodding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. Thanks, Tom. This next question: Hong's films are famously off a piece with each other in structure, style, and temperament. What <coughs> film would you highlight as a challenge to this truism, showcasing sides of Hong's artistry that other movies don't? So, like, which film would be an anomaly? An outlier, yeah. Hmm. I think oh, it, we didn't reveal the... And yeah, we didn't reveal wait, the name sorry. of the previous questioner. It was Mark would Ash. He, would he like to reveal himself? <laughs> it's Mark <laughs> Ash. <laughs> He's here. He's hiding. Okay. People who are here should just ask the questions. I know. Maybe we'll just do that. <laughs> um, Maybe we will do well, that. Some of them are uh, here. Okay, but yeah, an an outlier. Uh, um, I don't know, but different definitions, different films could be thought of that way. But I think it's interesting when you're um, experiencing them, you know, in real time as they emerge. And and this is another another question that people talk about, um, which is like the many phases of Hong's films. Like, how do you divide up the canon? Like, is there like a clear, you know, early period, mid period, late period? Like, and how do you subdivide all of that? And I think every so often he'll make a film that I think um, surprises you, and then he'll go back to a previous mode, and then he'll he reincorporate things from. So I don't know that. Um, I don't know if I've ever really fully been surprised by a hong film maybe oki's movie was one yeah that was the first one i saw so it's hard for me to be surprised but i do remember seeing uh, the day the pig fell in the well and being well, that was this the was very fir- much an right. outlier yeah that's true if you i mean if you go and i also did the same thing i went back to it. the first film is 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 um in many ways not of a piece uh it's also very written uh, and very kind of melodramatic and very plot driven, violent, yeah. which is not something that and very, like yeah, actual yeah. murders and things. Right. So I, I suppose in that sense, yeah. But he was, I think, you know, still. But from from film number two onwards, I think they're, they're pretty pretty cohesive. Um, I think every so often there's just certain devices he uses that are like surprising. Yeah, um, and I think uh, the structure of Oki. Which is also a favorite of mine is is continues to be like really hard to just hard to parse in in in, in really intriguing ways. Um, and I guess recently, and sometimes you know even like a film that I thought was minor ish when I saw Introduction, mm. going back to it, I feel like he's doing something quite unusual with um, ellipsis and like just you know 
the off-screen in that film. Um, so I feel like he introduces formal devices. Recently, I thought In Front of Your Face did take me by surprise a little bit, just compared to the films that just preceded, and also because it's this confrontation with age and dying in a more purely dramatic way. I don't know. There, there was something very dark about it that wasn't contrivance i can see that but it also for me had the sort of the emotional directness of the kim min hee films and i think age and mortality have been factoring into his films in the last five or six years like hotel by the river is very much about that you know a character actually dies in that and then um introduction is about like just parent-child and generational relationships so i feel like that's been on his mind um and so yeah, but I, I I can I can sort of see that, and that actress I think brings something new into the Hong world as well. And I I also like how he works with his his company. You know, this all there are all these regulars who show up and then go away and come back again, and then sometimes he'll introduce somebody new who like just brings something completely different. And I think you know this is under discussed like how incredible he is with actors and how many incredible performances are in his films. You're listening to the Film Comment podcast. Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. I've often thought of Hong's filmography as sort of, a, I don't want to say progression, but a, a series of experiments where he's trying things out and then he'll kind of figure out a way to tell a story or figure out a way to talk about the thing that he's trying to talk about. And then he'll make a movie that's sort of a... A trial run or something. Yeah, or something. so he'll do sort of, there, there are some films that are sort of attempts mm-hmm. where he's working things out and then there'll be kind of a full exposition of that idea or that practice. And then he kind of pushes himself to or has another idea, wants to say something different, and moves on. So I think if you selected films from like all over the map, you'd be very surprised. They'd be very different in that sense. But if you watch them in order, or as you describe them in the book in order, I think that you know you can see this clear, not progression, but movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think certain tendencies definitely emerge over time, but they're not they're not linear. I think he's always you know trying things, discarding them, going back to earlier ideas. He didn't make two-part films for a long time, and then he went back to make his like his most literal-minded two-part film with Right Now, Wrong Then, you know, so. Okay, the next question. Who's the questioner? Did we reveal that? Oh, yeah, uh, this is Nick Davis. Okay, now we have a question. Rapid fire, your top five, Hong. <laughs> it's not a question, it's a, it's a command more, I would say. <laughs> Uh, I can't really do this. It's um, I ju- personal, I, just like a very personal. What's your? Yeah. I do know that Taylor's. I mean, I, I think Oki's movie, is is very very dear to me. And Taylor Cinema, and Turning Gate, and the day after, I really love the day he arrives. Wait, that's already five. That's five. Know. That's five. Okay. You did it. I don't think that's accurate. Accurate, but <laughs> well. It's recorded. Um, let it let it be let it be distributed across the internet for all time. All that right. question was from uh, Kazu Watanabe. All right, or now we command. have kind of a, a, a few questions. They were all really good. They're all from the same person, but they were really fun. So we perhaps we want him to ask them. Yeah. Oh, is this person here? He's this here. here. And he's sitting quite close to the microphone. Yeah. So <laughs> he doesn't have. You don't have to. You can beg off. Okay, I'll just I'll just I'll just say it. Hong Sang Soo is um, the Korean Woody Allen. Discuss. <laughs> uh, no, refuse to discuss. <laughs> Shutting that one down. No, I actually I mean, didn't okay, know the source of that. I didn't know the source of that until I read the first chapter of your book. Yeah. So that's you'd like so to talk about lazy, that. and like I hate <laughs> when people do this. <laughs> See, this is why we wanted Leo to read this question. <laughs> I was just trying to th- find things that would annoy you. Oh, when did you realize this was something that was an insight to me? But when did you realize that Hong's films were funny? Um, I, 
from the beginning. I think they're always <laughs> wait from turning. Which gate? one is not turning gate? Is pretty funny. <laughs> what? You can see it as not being funny. <laughs> it's definitely funny. <laughs> Watch it tomorrow and tell me if it's. I mean, see, it's. So, I I don't know. I feel like because the first Hong movie I saw was like quite funny. Which all his films one? are funny to oh, yeah. me. Okay, like there's a couple that are. Thank you, Leo. I think there's a very dark one. The the darkest one for me is "Woman Is the Future of Man." That's like almost unpalatable. Like it's, it's really hard to watch. But it's also funny. You don't think it's but funny? There are I funny, think that one. But is there funny. are funny things in it. He's never made a film devoid of humor. I mean, the day a pig fell into the well is probably the closest. Yeah, that's like a that's we've established as an outlier. Yeah. I think, right? But I think they're all quite. F- I mean, he's definitely become funny i don't know if he's become funnier he's like more he's 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 used comedy more as, as would you as call him sort of the reverse woody allen then i wouldn't so I he's not sort of taking the career path that's de- like the opposite um i so i kind of have a follow-up about that um would you say that he has become more ironic is that a fair label we define irony <laughs> well Okay, I'm we're not, not going there. We're not gonna, um, I'm not going to allow that on the film comment you know, podcast. Like the self, a kind of humor that is able to permeate even the darker moments <laughs> because there's a kind of self-reflexivity to it. There's a kind of slight absurdity to it. I think the films became lighter in many ways, like in literal ways, um, because he, they just became simpler. You know, he moved to this like very unencumbered mode of production where he just wanted to like make films as quickly and as cheaply as possible and to see if that was a viable way of working, which I think he clearly proved it was. And I do think the emergence of Hong's comic side like coincides a little bit with that. But the irony thing is a bit harder to I mean I think Tale of Cinema is maybe his most reflexive film. So it's I think that those tendencies reflexive in terms of autobiography or about cinema. About cinema in that the fact that it's a film about watching cinema, but also the autobiography thing. It's like you know, it's like that's played for laughs, right? Isn't it always funny that like it's always a filmmaker who's like always mm. kind of a jerk who's always getting drunk? I mean, like that's funny. Repetition yeah. is funny. I was thinking well, also about the effect of that's funny. The right. humility of the humility that's conveyed by that, you know, trope, is something that is makes his films effective. Yeah, but um, yeah. Sorry, that wasn't a very good answer to that. No, I, but I was gonna say like they're all so pitiful and pathetic, and that's kind of funny, right? <laughs> the the men yeah mostly the men but sometimes the women too mm-hmm. yeah sure i mean yeah, i think he definitely works with that i mean there are objects of they're pretty sad in the early films and i mean the, there are some you know real real assholes who reemerge. like the guy in the day after is pretty terrible that same actor also in in front of your face um who's really great in that particular kind of role um but I suppose, yeah, I suppose that is funny. But this whole idea of like men, I think gender is tricky. You know, in Hong to talk about gender is like, it's tricky. It's like, it's, it's, um, they're always about relationships between men and women. But I think on, again, I think people land on, land too comfortably on one side or the other and be like, oh, they're like toxic men. And like, but, you know, or like, oh, he's like, you know, he's like, um, he's attacking the toxic man. I, I don't know that it, it's either one of those positions. Um, I think as a man, he's probably more comfortable in making the men like just the objects of ridicule. But I think his, his uh, for me, his, his, his fundamental subject is just the absolute difficulty of connecting with another human being, male or female or any, like of any, of any type. And that is the eternal subject of his films. Uh, what about you, Devika? When did you first realize that his films are funny? <laughs> well, I saw Right Now, Wrong Then. Which is funny. First, yeah. Which is very funny. And that's why, to me, all his films have been funny since. And that's another like argument Clint and I were having. You know, I just can't help but see all his films as funny because that was the first Hong. And that was, and Right Now, Wrong Then is, it's not dark, but... It's emotional, maybe, you can say, and it's melodramatic, but it's also very funny. True, true, true words. Let's do two more. Okay. These are both from Leo. <laughs> but they're good. 
Okay, okay. So the next one, I, I just think this is a, a really interesting question that's worth discussing, which is Hong's reception in Western cine cinephilic circles, you know, European film festivals, American art house distribution. How and when did this happen? Were there particular films that were breakouts? And how does this relate to the marketing and reception of other Asian, Korean auteurs at the time? Yeah, no, it's that's very interesting. I think Hong was was has been a festival filmmaker from the very beginning. All his films have played major international festivals. The Day Pick fell into the well, won the top prize at Rotterdam, I think, and then The Power of Kang One Province played in Cannes. So he's been like at the top festivals from the very beginning of his career. So that's been very important to how the films circulate. And I think the yeah, the discourse around the films. But he's he is the outlier, I mean, of that generation i think the generation that emerged in the 90s mm -hmm. bong chun ho and yi chang dong uh, and park chan wook are all i think working with genre in different ways um or maybe more melodrama in yi chang dong's case and also working with with just sociopolitical like stuff in different ways they're more they they, they work with critique and in, in in a different way than hong does i think I'm sorry, I think I might be missing some of the subtleties of the question. Like, it was like, what, what does it mean that Hong is a... It's a hard question to answer, but also if there are certain breakout films and... Like, why yeah. do you think he's... Why, do I, why is he popular in the West? I mean, you can ask... Not Leo. that popular. For <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can just interrogate you... Leo here. <laughs> um, Leo, should we have a conversation? Well, do you think that, I, you know, you kind of answered the question, I think, in that you... You know, description of Hong as an outlier and sort of a unique figure, both in in Korean cinema and world cinema. So I don't think it's it's hard to it's hard to say like how that would affect the marketing or reception of other Korean filmmakers, right? Because Hong's on his but doing his own thing. But it doesn't seem so like utterly. very intuitive to me that I mean, maybe I don't know how it was in the '90s, but it doesn't seem very intuitive to me that European or Western festival programmers would see like these films and immediately think. Oh, this is like the cream of world cinema. You don't know don't, how it was in the nineties. <laughs> I was. It was not very sentient in the nineties. Okay. Um, <laughs> the nineties were crazy. Okay. But yeah, it just it, they don't seem intuitively like that to me. Like festival fair, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, just to their great credit, right? I mean, I feel like he's always been kind of hard to slot into the festival world, um, and I think he found. A certain core of supporters pretty early on, but in terms of why the films play, I think if you're on his wavelength, you're 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 hooked. You're on his wavelength, and I think enough people are. They understand the project and they're invested in it. Uh, and I do think that's I I think it's a profoundly like it's it's. I meant what I said. I think he he's really interested in the difficulties of relationships, of all kinds of relationships, of of being in the world. I mean, like this is like you know these are existential films. But they're also doing really, really interesting and exciting things with narrative, which so few filmmakers do today. Everything is so incredibly cookie cutter and like lab driven and workshop driven and like you know I, I don't know like this this re, just re, crisis and resolution and like however many acts and all of that. And he's doing films where like perspectives shift and like you know it goes from one plane of reality to another and it like there's like sometimes two parts or three parts or four parts who's doing this and also who's making films so constantly i think he's the model for and not not in a literal sense is to imitate hong but like the idea for, that like for clint in a literal sense yeah. well okay yes yeah, the puffy jackets yes but i think less productive i think hong <laughs> I think Hong should be taught in film schools. I think this is like, you know, an approach to thinking about cinema, this expensive industrial form as something approachable uh, and something that is, as you said, an instrument of thought. Like you can think through cinema. Mm. And I think his films are invitations to think along with him. And that's what's really exciting about them. And yeah, that may be his form of communication or how he makes connection with... Mm. But that may be something that you discussed when you've talked with him and our last question is have you ever that was a transition into the last question have you ever gotten drunk with hong and what was it like i believe leo also asked this one 
Yeah, 2017, <laughs> when he last came. Hong doesn't drink anymore, so this week will be very different. But his last trip here, um, we had yeah, we had a few drinks. What was it like? I don't know. I don't think he changes much when he's inebriated. He's a pretty good drinker, as you can imagine. Mm. Has that, yeah, he's had a lot of practice, it seems, based on the movies. Uh, I'm curious now what the post-Soju Hong films will be like if he doesn't drink He anymore. hasn't been drinking in a few years. So like maybe this like you know more sober like films about mortality that you're talking about. <laughs> that could be some... I don't know, but they still drink a lot in his films. The, the, the actors still continue to drink, and they're generally drinking actual alcohol, and, uh, you know, so... Well, I think that is, that's the end of our uh, cold list of questions from our contributors. A couple audience questions before trivia? Okay, yeah, we can do All right, that. let's do that. Over there? Yep. Thank you so much, Mr. Lim, for having this retrospective for Hong Sang-soo. I'm a Korean person, and I am a member of a Korean Women's Film Club. So I just uh, it is great honor as a Korean to see this retrospective for Hong Sang-soo. And we have a question. You know, actually, as a Korean person, in our film club, we don't like Hong Sang-soo. <laughs> because his films is like something like sex without orgasm. <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, what's the point? Is it finished? So what does he want to say? That's like ordinary you know, film club members, we ask these questions, really. So we don't understand why he got all the international awards. So I have a question for you. <laughs> I will report back to my film club. What is, you know, we understand like uh, Bong Juno and, you know, Lee Chang-dong and all these great Korean, uh, dramatic directors, and what is greatness of Hong Sang-soo? Three point, one to three. I want to know and I want to return back. And second question, you said his film is improving every time. What do you see? I want to know. Thank you. So can I ask if you, do you watch the films in the film club? Yes, we do. But even though none of you like them? But wait, do you watch Hong Sang Soo's films over and over again without liking them? Oh, we, we watch, but nobody wants to see the game. <laughs> <laughs> Even we said, is this kind of French style? French style, uh-huh. Really? It's like a sex without orgasm. <laughs> sex without orgasm. I don't know that I can answer Which your question. I believe happens. That's in a very tale of cinema description. <laughs> can I ask you if you've seen Hong Sang Soo's films in which there is a Q, there are Q and A's in which exactly your kind of question is posed over and over again? There's like at least five films I think where like an audience member stands up and asks him, which you can do this week if you would like, like why do you make films like this? So. And well, the films actually have a great response built into them. There's one in Oki's movie. I think the best one is in Like You Know It All, where he responds, the filmmaker character in the film responds to a question that is exactly, almost exactly like yours. Why would you make a film like this? Uh, with, I don't have the exact line, but it's something like, you know, I make the films I want to make. You don't have to like them. This is how I make them. And it's for you to receive as much as you want of them or to reject them. And I think that's his attitude, which is um, fine. I mean, I don't know that I, it is my place to tell you to convince you to like the films. It's absolutely fine that you don't like the films. It's like not my... But idea. if you're compelled by the films, we recommend that you pick up a copy of <laughs> Dennis's book. The answers are all here. Trust us. <laughs> 
All right. And please subscribe to the film comment letter if you don't, because we often answer these kind of questions. Um, over there in the orange shirt. Yeah, I mean, I'm basically wearing the book cover, so thank you. <laughs> I feel like we, uh, when talking about Hong, we talk a lot about the content and the structure and writing of the film. But I feel his visual style and his use of music is really something that doesn't get talked about enough. Someone pointed out to me, and I didn't notice it the first time, that On the Beach at Night Alone has like, it's like a really moody film. You know, uh, Yourself and Yours is like a summer film. Claire's camera is like very sun dapped, you know, that kind of stuff. So I feel at Hotel by the River has like, like a lot of dread uh, built into it. So would you would you elaborate a little bit on that? And he's also a musician who also like scores his own films sometimes. So thank you. Um, yeah, I agree with that. He's a musician. He writes a lot of the scores of his most recent films, especially. They're usually pretty like just minimal piano pieces. He has a visual style. You know, we haven't talked about the zooming, which is obviously like a big part of what he does and the use of long takes and the pans, you know, and like, I think you're right. I, I think what it is is that he's very responsive to place, you know, and I think the the style of the film, what you what you describe, just this this mood that, that is specific to each film emerges from a location and a place. And that is the first thing he looks for in a film. He finds a place, whether it's a cafe or a beach or a hotel or whatever. And I think everything emerges from that. He's talked about how he's a functional filmmaker in terms of in terms of visuals. He does not, you know, they're not fussy films. They're 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 quite he's shot with digital for a long time and, and he's doesn't do that many takes, even though digital affords it. And he he has very short um the shoots are very short. So I think they're you know He's a very extremely pragmatic filmmaker, but I think he's very responsive to place and to the elements. Uh, you know, I think weather is a really important factor in his films. When it snows or when it rains in a Hong film, it's often a very memorable scene. Yeah, and in the book, you also emphasize how music is kind of the cue and tale of cinema, you know, between <clears throat> registers and... Um, There's that amazing also... moment where the where the character in the first section is on the roof screaming mother and then it cuts to a shot of the sun and this tinkly, beautiful, but kind of like upbeat music starts playing and it seems totally incongruous to what to this despair that the character is feeling. But I think that, yeah, you, as you described it, he's so aware of the details, the precision of these films is pretty remarkable. We'll do just one last question um, in the back row over there. As someone who's taken classes with you, I'm so curious to know um, if you would ever teach a class on Hong, um, and if you would, would be the opening film to introduce students to his cinema, and maybe if I could tack on um, your approach to programming this retrospective, and how that might relate to your approach to... Approach to what? To the pedagogy. Okay. Thanks, Tiff. <laughs> um, also a theme in Hong, though. I hmm? pedagogy is also a theme in. in yeah, Hong films. is a teacher. Has been a teacher. Um, I I'm open to teaching a class on Hong. I don't know if anybody would would people take it. I guess. <laughs> yes. Maybe not people from your film club. They wouldn't take it. But uh, <laughs> or maybe they are the target audience. No. Um, I. Uh, yeah. Um. I think I would probably start with Tale of Cinema. I'm sorry, this is like very, but it's a film I've lived with for a while. The other film I think is 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 equally rich in terms of its formal ideas is Oki's movie. So I think it would be one of the two. And you talked about programming the retrospective. Um, yeah, I want to acknowledge my colleague Dan, who's here too, who uh, I worked on with this program. It was complicated. Um, People might know we alluded to this that everything is showing as a double feature because I don't think you can watch one film and have a sense of what the project is. So everything is showing in a double feature, but I I thought that was overdetermined. So I showed everything twice, but pairing it with a different film each time. So 
the idea just to show that there's something fluid and modular and like you can pull it apart and put it back together in different ways. Um, and to be honest, we didn't spend, we spent some time thinking about it and it was complicated in the sense of just making sure everything had, had multiple pairings, but it was very intuitive. Uh, Dan knows to work well too. So it was just, you know, a process of throwing things together and, 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 and working with intuition as much as anything else. The pedagogy question, I don't know. Do you want to elaborate on that? <laughs> what do you, I mean. I feel like um, all your syllabi are um, curated by you. So I guess it was more a question about. Ideally, all syllabi are <laughs> curated by the people who do. No, I, I know what you mean. Um, I do think that the double feature is an underused uh, tool in, in pedagogy, but also in, you know, in exhibition spaces. Uh, I think it's it's a very productive form where you can you know work and think dialectically and and have something emerge that's that's greater than the parts. Um, yeah, I, I I encourage people to come to the double features the rest of the week because I I, I think this is the way to watch the films. I think this is. Um, I mean, I haven't gone back to some of these pairings since we've done them, so I'm, I'm curious also, you know, what people take away from them. Uh, and I, I would imagine that that every every person would have a, a different a different response and a different takeaway. Um, I have a follow up question, if that's okay. Sure. <laughs> was there a pairing open? that was particularly or unexpected to you, or that you that was particularly rich for you, maybe? Or even difficult. Difficult. Yeah. A film. A pairing. A double feature. Oh God, Dan! I don't remember. Or maybe for Dan. Difficult to pair, just for the reasons we talked about about it being an outlier. And I think we one of our pairings is just basically as straightforward as like the oldest film with the most recent film, as a way to just measure the distance tr traveled. Uh, and I don't remember what the other one, other pairing was. We have one. We have to do the one trivia one. question, and the trivia question is. No, For, Dennis, do you want to? Okay, what was yeah. the last Hong film shot in 35 millimeter? The DGRIs? No. Okay. What did you stop? No. The day after? No. Uh, <laughs> Woman on the Beach? Yep. Correct. Yay! We have a winner. There was some elimination here, but yes. it was good. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that wasn't too hard. We succeeded. We have no more microphones. Oh, oh yeah, okay. They're we're back. done with microphones? Oh, they're yeah. on now. Oh, they're on now? Okay, sorry. Well, well anyway, I think we're done. So I think we're done, yeah. yeah. Um, but Dennis, you still have a job to do. What? Sign books. Sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you, everybody, for coming. The Film Comment podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com.